Um, is there anything that's been sticking in your head? I think I had something, but it just left my head. <laughs> I mean, the the big thing I I was thinking of a theme is is vulnerability because um, your story you know, was very vulnerable. I'm like, we're being vulnerable. We yeah. <laughs> put ourselves out there, and writers are always just vulnerable. So, you know, I like yeah, I like that that theme. Um, I think I mentioned this last week or some other time before, but um, you know that when I stop planning everything in a story and I just sort of quote unquote wing it, uh huh, you have to fill in that other space that's left from you planning everything out, right? You just have a void, right? Right. So you got to get from point A to point B, and if you're not planning it, you just got to go by what's inside of you, you know. Um, and that's such a weird feeling in that, um, like with this story here, you felt it was vulnerable because I had no other choice but to sort of like draw on stuff that I felt in order to keep the story mm -hmm. moving, you know? Um, whereas if I took some time to plan it out step by step, I probably wouldn't have did that. I would have just made a tighter story or made something more complex or, um, whatever, a totally different kind of story. Yeah. So I just, it's a new and interesting feeling, um, seeing what comes out in your stories when you're just, just sort of writing to write, you know, um, it could be, if you're having a bad day, your story could be more pessimistic than normal, you know, um, relationship problems, you know, <laughs> wife yeah. might be in trouble in the story, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, it's just an interesting phenomenon how, um, Unless you're writing an autobiography, I don't think anyone really plans to say, all right, in this story, I'm going to write about um, personal trauma that I experienced, but it's not going to be about me. It's going to be in the character, you know? Right. You know, just something that's really interesting exploring is vulnerable and, and fun, you know? Yeah, what I always think is interesting about this kind of stuff is it, it's interesting to be like, where, where do you end and where do the characters begin? Because... Mm -hmm. You know, like, okay, so I just listened to, uh, I just finished a podcast, Once Upon a Time at Benton College. You know, I think I told you about it. It was about when Bryce and Ellis and Donna Tart and Jonathan Lethem and all these people were going to Bennington College, just kind of this weird time where this, uh, this, all these literary figures came out of that college. Um, it was interesting to hear, like, especially with Bryce and Ellis and Donna Tart how much they fictionalized reality, which, I mean, I, I, that's what I feel like I do in most of my stories. You, you just kind of remix the truth um, or you remix fact to try to reach the truth of your story. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's always kind of interesting, which is also what bothers me about when people try to dissect things too far, mm -hmm. when they're just like, oh, this, this line's obviously about, you know, his dad and you're like, well, you know, you do make some stuff up to fit the overall point you're trying to make sometimes. So yeah. that's, that's always kind of interesting to me. And that's, that was one thing that was interesting about reading this story was I catch myself asking like, man, how much of this is true to Kevin and how much of this did he just make up for narrative? And mm -hmm. I think that's just, it, that's interesting as you know, having known you for like what, two years now mm -hmm. and just kind of asking that question. Cause when I write my stuff, you know, I, I kind of know 
for the most part. You know, I know what the source of that uh, point of the story is. So it was interesting with, again, with someone I, that I have known, but don't know all those answers to. You know what? Um, one of my favorite directors is a guy named Todd Salance. He mm. is a, he's a fucked up guy. <laughs> he's a weird guy. Um, you ever seen a movie? It's an early 90s movie called Welcome to the Dollhouse. No. Um, or Happiness. They're pretty artsy movies. So I don't know if anybody like really knows it, especially early nineties. Yeah. But he's a guy who like, he abuses his characters and it's for like his own delight. Sometimes a social commentary, but for the most time he's just sadistic with it. Mm -hmm. Like welcome to the dollhouse is about like, uh, I think she's 11. Her name is Don Wiener and everyone in the town, everyone around her and her family, And, you know, she gets bullied at school. Her parents ignore her. She's got a younger daughter who they love, and they totally ignore her. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, you know these kind of movies. Like, you, it's a classic underdog story, right? Character is beaten up on, and then in the end, she's going to do something that, like, turns the tides, and everybody all of a sudden realizes what kind of awesome person she is, right? Like a more sadistic uh, Cinderella or something? <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a scene where her little sister gets kidnapped by a guy. And you think the worst can happen. And if you know the director, you know bad stuff does happen, like really bad stuff. Um, he's very darkly humorous too. And so she ends up doing the right thing. She saves her sister. She gets her home. And no one realizes that Dawn saved her. She just thinks the girl just like made it on her own by herself. <laughs> she gets no credit. Like, they, had, mm -hmm, they had like wanted put like um, reward posters, like please help us find our daughter. And she walks in the house and Dawn is like, hey, I, I saved her. And they ignore her. And at the end of the story, <laughs> At the end of the movie, she's right back to where she was in the beginning. No one likes right. her. And I'm like, holy crap, dude, that's so dark. Um, but I guess... Wait, so, go ahead, sorry. Say, all I have to say is he wrote a, a different movie called Storytelling. And it was divided up into two parts. And in the first part, it's a college class, like a freshman um, fiction writing class. And the main character thinks she's the next big thing, right? She's writing mm -hmm. some really personal stuff. She writes about the time that she was raped and it's totally autobiographical, but she makes it a character. She makes up a character, but it's totally her story. And there's no mm -hmm. um, fiction, fictionalizing it. And she reads it in front of her class um, and everybody's sitting there and it's those pretentious writers, right? Like, hmm, well, in this case, you know, and they brutalize her story. They say, I think the main character is a, a bit idiotic and, mm. uh, they just go in, I don't remember what she said exactly, but they just dig into the character and it's like, she acts like she um, came out of the fire as a stronger person, but really she's weaker than she was when she started. Yeah. And just all kinds of stuff. That's what they're saying to her face. And then, so they're analyzing the story as a story and she's taking it extra hard because she put her 100% self into that story. She is the right. character. Right. And so that's what's particularly vulnerable about writing stuff like this is that like what you said, where does a character end? Where does you? Where do you begin? And if you do have it right like that, that's the fear you have. Like when someone says, "Well, it's obviously about your father," or she obviously made for this to happen, or something like that, right? Yeah, you can't help but take it extra hard. So that's another reason why you, a lot of people, I guess, 
shy away from writing autobiographical stuff because um, you fear the um, the analysis that comes with it, you know, or the truth that comes with it. People yeah. like revealing the truth about yourself that you didn't necessarily want to see, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. Some of like when we have these conversations about just kind of like the philosophical parts of writing, I'm just like, can you really write anything worth a damn without being vulnerable in some way? Because like if nothing else, you're vulnerable with your time. You know, you've, you've sunk a lot, a lot of effort into it. But I'm just kind of like, I feel like, I don't know. I kind of feel like that's kind of the point of, of writing, you know, not always, like sometimes, you know, business writing, you know, you, you, that's different, but I guess just for uh, artistic writing, I feel like, you know, you want to, you, you want to try to touch on a larger truth and you have to do that through vulnerability. I think it's the best way. Cause it's like, how else that story, what, you know, what the reality is my experience if I can remix it so that you relate to it and other people relate to it, I think that's kind of the goal mm -hmm. um, rather than just making it purely autobiographical, you know? Mm -hmm. And then there's interesting, like with that comes the, the ego of the writer. Yeah. You know, I, I hate when people try to say they have just no ego and I'm like, come mm -hmm. on, man. I, I, I think I can keep my ego in check but I will not pretend I don't have an ego. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I love getting the, the right kind of compliment. I love when someone connects with, you know, my work or my writing, like, yeah, I, I have ego and I know it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to pretend to be that humble. Yeah. But then that's what hurts is, you know, when, when you are vulnerable and someone hurts your ego like that, Man, it's just, it's interesting to me, like when you see certain well-known authors who just can't take that criticism at all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking like, maybe it's, I want to say, my first instinct is like, okay, you reach the top, you get the bestseller list or whatever you your movie book got turned to a movie or whatever mm -hmm. so you know what it feels like to be successful so the next time you write something it's not interpreted the way you wanted it or it's not as successful yeah so you're just quick to say that but i feel like a lot of writers can get that ego way early on in their career yeah before you even hit the mountaintop you know um and it comes in like those freshman classes like the <laughs> where you take your work a little too seriously yeah yeah yeah, and then also, it's interesting talking about this. Like, how do you really gauge? How do you gauge success just in general? And then also, how do you know? How do you decide which criticism to listen to? Because, like, we're talking about these literary authors who, you know, who who get to be part of the big establishment. But that gets to be part of their problem is if they don't get the the right recognition from the right publication or something they they lose their minds and it's like you yeah. have all this you know and, and it's also interesting too because it's like okay so you know so you get you get the award that you want but then you're a laughing stock in five years like what would you rather have would you rather you know be the guy who sticks around and uh you know maybe maybe didn't get the the 
what do you call it? Like burning hot success, but you stuck around and you're still doing okay. And maybe when you're dead, people will still, you know, talk yeah. highly of you. It's just, it's all kind of interesting. Like, look again, look at that vulnerability and the ego thing. I like the feedback topic. How do you know which feedback to listen to? Um, that's one of those things where these kind of groups that we had are really important and they're really helpful mm -hmm. because you also get to know who your co-writers are, you know, who is around you. Yeah. And you kind of, I don't know, I'm trying to be a little nice about this, but in someone else's work, you recognize what a person like prefers or like what they're capable of or mm -hmm. what they tend to do as a writer. And you weigh that against what you do. And if it's something that you respect or have a lot of respect for, you tend to open up and listen to that person's commentary more. Right. If it's something that like, you don't really like what they do personally, it's harder to like take their commentary at face value. Right. You know, because everybody's human. They apply their own, um, I guess, their own opinions on what someone's opinion is, I guess. Um, but I love these groups because you get to know who a person is and it makes it a lot easier to sort of like peel back the layers of what you want to take from a person's feedback. Like obviously there's those moments where you're like, holy shit, I didn't think about that at all. Yeah. You know, that's super clear. I'm going to take that, you know? Right. But if it's a matter of like, this person should have a sister or this person should go here instead of here, you know, um, I guess that's where your ego comes in too. Like, um, it's just being a good person. Like, mm, no, I'm not doing that. No. <laughs> you say, thank you. I'll think about that. Yeah. yeah. And then I will never do yeah, it again. Like, that's like, uh, man, funny. You said like, like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll think about that. Uh, I was reading this thing about, uh, Mel Brooks. Mm -hmm. Whenever someone had asked him something like, how'd you, how'd you do it in Hollywood? Like, how'd you make all these movies? And he was like, I would tell people I was going to do something and then I wouldn't do it. And he <laughs> yeah. was just like, he was like, why argue? What's the point? And so, uh, have you ever seen Blazing Saddles? Yeah. Do you remember the the campfire scene while the farting? Mm -hmm. <laughs> someone someone wanted him to cut it, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, it's done. No farts. We'll do it." And I think it was that same movie. Somebody wanted him to fire Gene Wilder. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, he's done. He's gone." And he wow. never did it. He just told people like, "Yeah, that that's what I'm gonna do," and he never did it. <laughs> Well, good call. Yeah, you don't follow Gene Walter. Yeah, I mean, it's this. The, was it the was it the Waco Kid or whatever the mm -hmm. that movie? I mean, yeah, you just that was so funny. Just being like being a yes man who doesn't actually follow through. I thought that was pretty awesome. Um, like you're not ever gonna. It's rare you get into a discussion with someone and you change their minds, right? You know? So just fucking call the middle man. Cool, I'll do it. <laughs> well, I was thinking about that was something at work, uh, something really minor. It was not uh, a big deal, but I was thinking about that after I read that, and I was just like, you know, I should, I should just, I should just said yes to the guy, and just, you know, I should have just shaken my head and walked away, and just done my own thing rather than trying to convince him. Because especially, especially yeah. like the situation, the the person I was arguing with uh, isn't really into marketing, mm -hmm. and we were just. I realized I was kind of repeating myself, like just kind of wasting breath, trying to make a point that just wasn't 
sinking in. And so in hindsight, you know, watching in third person as you replay it, you're just kind of like, yeah, it, you should just shut up right then. <laughs> Would have you know, saved you both a lot of time. It might be a little cynical, but I feel like a lot of people just talk just to get their opinion heard. Yeah. And once their opinion is said, then they're done. They're not going to listen. They're just like, I did my part. Yeah. So it's like, just in the, when I'm at work, if someone tells me like, um, the thing I told you about, about the um, learning management system, someone messaged me and was like, you should write a, um, a company-wide communication and send that out so everybody knows what's happening. <laughs> when in reality, this issue is only affecting like eight people. We're not saying right. 2,000 people, you know. <laughs> but rather than trying to explain that to her, I was like, you know, we're working on that. And she was like, okay, great. I'm never going to talk to her again. Whereas if I said no, we would have a fucking argument about it. And I don't want to yeah. talk to her anyway. So, yeah, I'm just like, let you, let, you, let, you, let you hear yourself talk, and then it's done. Well, and if she follows up and that comes up again, you're like, hey, it's, it's in legal's hands. They're, they're looking <laughs> yes. through it, and I'll buy you like two months' time, you know? Yeah, no one wants to talk to legal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's where everything goes to die. Mm -hmm. It's like by the time you get, if you do actually say something legal, by the time you get it back, you're like, I don't even recognize a word of this. Yep. It's hilarious. <laughs> But uh, then there was something else you, you were touching on. Uh, made me think of something and I lost it. Let me try to see if I can. How do you typically handle, okay, so someone's read your story, right? And they interpret it to be completely different, like thoroughly different. How do you handle that? Do you bother trying to explain yourself or do you think you wrote it wrong? Like, what's your natural inclination to handling that? So hard. And that, that is, thank you for asking that, because that's so in line with what I was trying to come back to. So, well, one part of it is, if you, like, like what you were talking about earlier, if you know the person just does not get what you're doing, you do have to, it does help to kind of subconsciously remind yourself, say to them, like, it's not for you. And I, yeah. I get that from Seth Godin, you know, big marketing guy, and he talks about, like instead of trying to um, sell to everyone, some people just aren't going to get what you're doing. And you say, that's fine. It's not for you. And I like that because it takes the emotion out of it. And it's not mm -hmm. that you're right and they're wrong. It's just we speak a different language, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. And it's, mm -hmm. he, like, he gives the example of, uh, like he talks about, you know, the Supreme stuff with the, the big red yeah. sh the shirts and all that. And he's like, he says something like, I see that. And I go, that's so stupid. And he's like, and thank goodness, because it's not for me. It's not for me, yep. And so there, that's always an option. Sometimes it is hard. Well, it's hard because, again, the ego, you know, you, you're like, you threw, you threw so much of yourself into it that sometimes you can't help being a little defensive. And I'm just in general trying to work on that. But, you know, I'm human. Um, but sometimes I do think you have to ask because sometimes you didn't say it the way you meant. And that's why sometimes like in, in our sessions, I, I, instead of saying, I try not to say something like, well, I wrote this. I try to say, I was trying to say this right. because, and, and then maybe that helps. Maybe where it's like, oh, well you were way off, but if you're trying to aim for that, here's what you should do. Yeah. Um, and that facilitates the conversation better. You know, yeah. 
it makes you feel it makes you seem vulnerable like i was trying to do this and it didn't work out and so a person is more likely to be like well you did do this right you know and so it's a better conversation yeah because sometimes i mean sometimes you just miss the mark and i mean like we we um I mean, you, you, you know this, especially from your, your professional life, you know, having been like a technical writer and stuff, you, you turn something in and people are like, well, what about this? And you go, well, I thought it was pretty clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you read it and you're just like, oh, like, it's just sometimes it's little things like, uh, I'll tell you about this stupid thing I did at work today. So we have a, uh, we have a K-cup, you know, Keurig machine. It's one of those, mm-hmm. you, you lift it up and you put your K-cup in there and then mm-hmm. you, know, you have to close it. And um, we just had to get it repaired, like or not repaired. Well, some technician had to come out and fix it recently. You know, it was like a ten-minute fix. But someone put a with a little uh, what do you call it? The label maker. Someone put something like keep like keep this closed. And so I put a sticky note on it, and I was like, "How can I make coffee if I have to keep it closed?" <laughs> and you know, of course, you know they meant keep it closed when not in use. But you know that that's kind of a silly example. But it's like those things you you think you said it clearly, and uh, you know you you didn't at all. Or, or like even today, I, someone reached out to me to see about trying to test something. Uh, mm-hmm. This app service this woman's launching, and so the first thing was you you have to enter your email address. Like okay, I did that. Then it asked for a verification code. Well, it emailed the verification code to me, but I'm like, I have no idea where this verification code came from. You know, like, but I, I pointed out to her and I was like, you know, you didn't explicitly say that was emailed to me. So I didn't know if this was something you had already given me or if it was in my email. But when I checked my email, I figured it out. And she's like, oh, yeah, good point. So those kind of real world things there, I think, can translate into fiction writing too, like the things you like. Definitely. And I think that's been one of the most eye-opening things about when I was studying technical writing mm-hmm. was the things because you you know what you're trying to say. And of course, this is why you have technical writers, because um the developer knows he knows how to talk to another developer. He knows what that developer knows, but he doesn't know what the layman knows and doesn't know. Right. And you fall into that. And I think you could fall into that with fiction too. Like, um, you know, like certain tropes. Like if you read a lot of, um, if you read detective stories, you know the detective tropes. If you read fantasy, you know the fantasy tropes. But if you kind of start merging genres, then it's kind of like, okay, well, when do I need to kind of explain or hold their hands through this? Or I'm kind of going against the grain a little bit you know, I, I have to make sure this lands better. Well, definitely, even if you're just doing regular fantasy stories, you have to um, be aware that you're making something up that's in your head. No one can see what's in your head, so you got to make sure right. that we can follow you, you know? Yeah, I'm glad we talked about feedback. I'm glad we talked about feedback. I've been thinking about it for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a tough one because the the hardest part is I think not knowing what to listen to, but then also it's kind of like 
kind of like what you're talking about with the with like when you get to know people and you know what to listen to it's kind of the same thing with your friends you know like if you got the one friend who who's just hot-headed and always takes a certain stance you're like well okay i'm not gonna listen to that person but if you got your pretty level-headed friend you're like okay well maybe i should listen to that person and but it's also complicated because you know you're talking about your preference for fake worlds and fake situations and so it's like you know like with us we who lean toward the minimalist spectrum it's like if you're telling me oh you need to write more like nabokov or his name is i'm like well you know i don't think that's going to work for me yeah <laughs> i'm not going to throw in a bunch of adjectives in flowery language yeah I think I cut you off earlier. You remember what you were going to say? Oh, I can't. I can't remember. I think. Oh, I think I was going to ask you um, what what's your what's your perception of how you take criticism and feedback. Um, well, I've been doing groups and um, feedback sessions for a long time now, so I'm. Mm-hmm. I number one, I know the process. You know, and I work as a writing coach too, so I know how to deliver and take that um but also you know me i've been doing that my my genre my style for a long time now so i know for sure what what works and there's things that are kind of iffy that i'm open to Mm -hmm. um but if someone who i try to recognize who i'm talking to first if they don't know anything about the style that i like then i know that they're probably not going to really understand the foundational stuff that i've done you know, so, um, you know, a lot of my stories don't have, the characters don't have names. It's just the man, the woman, the right. boy. Um, so if someone who's not used to seeing that reads that story for the first time, and they're like, you should name your characters. I don't, I can't follow it very well. And I'll be like, well, there's only three characters, and I make sure they're different enough to where I can just say the fat one or the boy, <laughs> and that's fine enough to identify them. Um then it works. It's a foundational thing in the writing. It's not going to really change, you know? Right. Um, so in that case, it's situational. Um, you know, if I have like, if I'm my characters in the convention um, and it's like 30 guys and I say the man said, I'm like, okay, which fucking guy? Right. That's a good point, right? Got to come up with um, something to differentiate him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just try to first figure out if what they're saying is like, um, coming from a place of them just not being exposed to my kind of writing. And if they are, if they have some experience, whether it was just read a lot of my stuff or some other genres like that, then I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll, I'll pay a little more attention. Oh, that sounds really bad. I pay attention, <laughs> but I'm trying to figure out what to keep and what to kind of let go. Right. You know, yeah. So I just really try and look at the person who I'm talking to and then that sort of determines how much I'm going to keep, how much I'm going to like, let go. Yeah. Well, talking about receiving criticism, I'll tell you one of my pet peeves about when mm-hmm. people give criticism and, and not necessarily anyone that we've dealt with, but just when I see stuff online, it's, it's like a, either criticism or just advice. It really bothers me when I feel like people who supposedly appreciate art don't 
don't understand that art can happen in many ways and many forms. Like mm -hmm. there are some people who think you should write only in first person or only third, third person past tense. I'm just kind of like, you can have a preference. That's fine. But you do realize, you know, you can do either one, right? You can even do second person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you realize that, right? You're crazy and so, and so it's just funny. Like when I see certain people, just like we've talked about before about like Cormac McCarthy, you know, not using quotation marks and they act like they've never seen that. And so some people will say, you know, you should only do this. You should only do that. And I'm like, you know, I liked, I tried to say more like, if you're going to do this, this is how you need to do it. Or these are the potential pitfalls because I feel like it's very limiting if someone were to say, you know, if, if somebody were to read, if I'm going to read someone's story and I just tell them exactly how I would write it. And you, you know, you've heard me at times where I would be, I will say, this is how I would do it, mm -hmm. but I'm not saying it's how you should do it. Cause sometimes it's all I can see is all I can know is how I would write this story because, you know, I, like you're saying, you, you kind of know what you do. I know what I'm going to do for the mm -hmm. most part. Cause it's like, it's also like, well, it doesn't do me, any good that's really tell you how to write this fantasy story because I would never write this fantasy story. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of have to watch how you give that criticism too. But like when I see certain people just, I feel like they're very unimaginative with their criticism or unimaginative with the possibilities. And that really mm -hmm. bothers me. Yeah. I, I feel the same way too. Like my second pet peeve is it's good. <laughs> I wish That's I didn't it. let you read my story. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and I don't want to blame somebody who feels this way, but someone who's afraid to be critical. Yeah. You know, only give me the sweet stuff. Um, and again, a, a person can't really help how they feel. Maybe it's, you know, social anxiety keeps them from like being completely honest, right? To someone's face. Yeah. Their stuff. Um, but man, I'd rather my stuff gets ripped up than just get like, it's good. I like he did this and this was really good here. Well, I, I struggle with that at times because you want to be firm. Like if I really, if I see a problem in your story, it's like, I, I do kind of owe it to you to tell you. And you don't have to listen, but I do have to let you know of the perspective and the possibility. But at the same time, I don't want to come across as a jerk especially to bring it all back to vulnerability, you know, you're going to criticize my stuff at some point. And I, I, I hope that we can encourage each other, you know, and so you got, you kind of, you always kind of want to be, uh, I guess, cognizant of that where you're like, I want to be firm. I want you to know what's wrong, but at the same time, I want to encourage you. I want to praise the things that you did right. Or just say, or just not beat you down. Right. And so I think that could be where some people don't want to give criticism and it's, it is how you say it. And I think sometimes you just have to be real and be like, look, I'm sorry. I can't think of a better way to say it, but just know I'm not trying to be a complete jerk. It's just going to sound like it. Yeah. <laughs> because sometimes you just can't find the right words, you know, which is funny with writers talking about, mm -hmm. can't find the right words, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a person who has written something that they're really passionate about, they want to hear that bad stuff. Like if mm. you said that to me, if you said, I'm sorry, before I say this, I can't think of a better way to say it. I'd be like, yes, let's go. Yeah. You know, because it's like, you want the best for your story, you know? 
And if someone just gives you like five good things about it, you can't do anything with that. Like, okay, cool, I did that right. I guess the story's done. I mean, it does. It does depend. I mean, sometimes you just want to hear how great your story is. And yeah, I mean, I'm I've been guilty of that. Like, uh, I can't remember if I told you this about the story or the class I took that kind of started making me realize I wasn't all that was um, I had to take advanced composition in college. I was supposed to take business communication, which is an easy A, Mm -hmm. but because it's an easy A, if you miss your window to sign up for it, you know, there's no, just no getting in and I missed my window. And so I take advanced composition and I'm not an English major. And the professor, Dr. Lowe, he was very demanding. He, he would always, when he criticized your stuff, he was always asking for more. And so the first paper we turn in, he's like, Hey, uh, this is your first draft. Like, just give tell me your grade. What would you grade this paper for yourself? And so I gave myself a C minus and I go and talk to him about it afterward. Cause I was like, he, he, he tore up my first draft. I, I thought he did anyway. And I go and talk to him and he's like, man, you gave yourself a C minus. This is a B plus paper if you don't change anything. And I'm like, what the hell? He said, he's like, why, why did you give yourself such a low grade? And I was like, cause you scared the hell out of me because, <laughs> cause it was just never good enough. And I've just realized over time, it's never good enough. It's never perfect, which is funny with all these, some of these writers who are such perfectionist. I'm just like, I get it. You spent 10 years writing this one novel, but I'm like, you know, you probably could have written more great stuff. Um, I'm like, how much, how, how much did you really improve that novel by spending nine extra years on it? You know? Yeah. No. Yeah. I remember I had an essay in some provision class, restoration literature or something. And I, it was a bunch of pages. I did a lot of research. I studied on it. And I wrote my ass off and his, he wrote one line at the end. He had some, critiques and stuff throughout, but he wrote one line at the end and said, Kevin, this paper is deeply and tragically flawed. I was like, God damn it. What does that mean? <laughs> like, wow. Like, there's no recovery from this. Like, there's no like, hey, try this paper again. Like, no, you're, no. <laughs> wow. And I was like, fuck, like, I think I was thinking about that moment when I give something to you guys. Like, I know you guys aren't going to say that, and I know that what I wrote for you guys, it's like, um, I know it a lot better and because it's coming from me and I know what I'm doing. Right. And that paper was like, who really knows restoration literature except for professors? Um, so was, that's a whole different venue, but um, it's still that moment where it was like, what if you write something that you just can't do anything with? Like, I don't know what to say about this. It doesn't <laughs> resonate with me. <laughs> Oh man. Wow. And that was like fucking 12 years ago or something. I don't know how long it's still, st- yeah, still thinking about that. The wound's still there. <laughs> Deeply and tragically flawed. Wow. You could have just said no, that would have been fine, but okay. <laughs> yeah. It, funny too, uh, you know, just to keep talking about criticism. I, I think if you've ever put anything online. Yeah. At all. That's another just, whole beast. Yeah, you just kind of have to to know because um, 
just someone, especially because online pe- people can say it anonymously yeah. or just through some fake name, which is something I've had to try to get away from. Um, Cause like I, I've been trying to get involved in Reddit again for, mm-hmm. for, for work, uh, not just work, but like just trying to get uh, more exposure, like to marketing and tech and all that kind of stuff. And I've used my real name on there because I'm like, you know, I just don't want to be that guy who can go toxic hiding behind a fake name. And then next thing you know, I get found out, you know, and yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, all these things I regret saying, you know. So, yeah, if you just ever put anything online, I feel like you got you kind of got to know what criticism uh, tastes like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought about that, like the times I think about making a blog or something and um, or animating or voicing over my stories and putting it on YouTube. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know if I want that smoke, man. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think with a blog, it can help if you don't enable comments, you know, cause I, I which I don't know. I go back and forth on comments a lot, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, why are you writing? But then at the same time, um, Sometimes it's like for for me with my blogging lately, there's just something about putting it out there. It's, it's, it's like, uh, you're shipping something, you're producing something, you know, it's like, it's out there. You did it. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you just write it in your notebook, no one knows. Right. You know, so there's something about that for me, but at the same time, when I am able to find out that someone liked something I wrote and resonated it resonate with them it's it does make me really happy so it's it's one of those weird things Hmm. well do you have any ideas about what you want to write next week nope 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 not at all man yeah i need to think about work stuff so yeah same here i'm um i've been just kind of writing my little blog post and then um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get content ideas for the rest of the year as much as possible. Like I want to start at work. I want to start putting out posts, uh, the first week of April. And so I think I have like 12 post ideas and two of them are pretty much already written. Um, yeah. I was just going to say that I, um, I have like a little notebook on my phone and on my computer where I'll just write down a sentence to write for later if I ever feel like I got stuck with ideas. Um, like the sinkhole story you read, mm-hmm. I wrote <laughs> number seven, a sinkhole appears. <laughs> <laughs> but it's stuff like that. Like I had two ideas I thought about a couple of days ago when I was writing. And I wrote it down on my computer and my laptop like restarted at overnight. And I was like, fuck, I lost it. I had those <laughs> two ideas, I lost it. And I found it eventually. And then when I saw what I wrote before, I'm like, okay, like, it's strange. When I looked at it again, I'm like, those are pretty simple ideas. It's not yeah. too crazy. It's not like I wrote a whole synopsis. But still, the idea of writing something down and then forgetting it, I hate that. It's, like, horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, I I, uh, I write, I have a notebook that I, I tried to write. And I'm trying to write by hand a lot more. Um because I feel like for me, it does help with creativity to get away from the screen. 
and um, just kind of let the mind wonder. But even on my phone, uh, I have this app called Drafts. Have you heard mm -hmm. of it? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's great because basically every time you open your phone, it just opens up a new note and it's, you can always store them later and send them somewhere else. But it's just like a great way. Cause you know, if you open, like, if you're like, oh, okay, let me go open up Google notes or, or whatever, um, or, or, or Microsoft word, you're like, oh, okay, I got to tile this and I got to save it. Yeah. Drafts. You don't have to do that. So that drafts is a great one. That's pretty cool for your phone. Like just to have it there and ready for you. And I have a Mac, so I mean, I have, I have it on the Mac too, but that's usually not as big a deal. You know, Mac, when I sit down at the computer, it's usually a little bit more intentional that I'm going to write something longer. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you, and I know we're kind of winding down, but um, I don't want to forget next week. Um, so someone listened to my podcast that I did with the, like a month ago or whatever, mm -hmm. and she asked me about that part where we were talking about um, – character-driven stories and literary fiction mm -hmm. or I'm sorry, literary fiction and speculative fiction. And she was like, what's the difference? And I explained to her about the difference between character-driven stories and plot-driven stories. And it got me thinking about you. And I was like, have you ever thought about writing anything that's more plot-driven rather than character-driven? Or have you ever tried to? I've thought about it, but it's also, <laughs> it's really hard for me. It is. Um, yeah. I, I've, I've thought about it. I feel like that would open up a lot of possibilities, but at the same time, it's like, I do just love character driven stuff. Like I don't, I don't mind a story where nothing happens. Yeah. You know? Yeah. As long as it's done well. Yeah. But I have thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering, I was explaining to her, the more I was explaining it to her, the more I was thinking about it for myself and for you. Like, um, like give her an example. I was like, so there's, um, like Jurassic Park is totally different than The Hearts of Lonely Hunter in that like Jurassic Park, you go there because you care about what happens to the dinosaurs when they escape mm -hmm. the facility. You don't care about the paleontologists really. Right. And as long as they seem like actual paleontologists, that's cool. But you care more about what happens when the, the gates go down. Whereas in The Hearts of Lonely Hunter, you care more about how someone reacts to something happening rather than what that something is. Um, and it's also more like, how does a character reinforce the theme of the story, which right. has to be very clear too. And in Jurassic Park, it's like, sure, it's a theme, like what, don't play God, I guess. But <laughs> it's more about like, oh shit, that Velociraptor's going to eat that guy's face off. Um, and I was thinking like, it's really hard to write a long character-driven story novel. Yeah. And not feel boring. Like, um, that's why I like the short stories because I feel like um, wherever my stories end when it's a character-driven story, it feels like that's as long as it was meant to be and yeah. there's no pressure to try and stretch it and come think of more stuff to make these characters react to, you know? And then when I write something longer, a plot-driven thing is uh, more accessible because it's like, okay... I'm kind of stuck here. I can add something that happens and just push the story forward easily. And I can still rely on creating really strong characters and stuff too. Um, but it's a lot easier to stretch out the idea when there's, you know, random shit happening. Well, and it kind of to your point, um, you know, that's why a while back, you know, I told you that I was 
trying to, I was trying to not cling to minimalism so hard mm -hmm. because yeah, it does get hard for like a longer story. Cause even some people will, will want to kill me for this, but like, I just, it's why I don't like, uh, Hemingway's longer, longer works, mm -hmm. like the old man, the sea, it's only a hundred pages. And I'm still like, man, this felt really repetitive. Same thing mm -hmm. with the sun also rises. I'm just kind of like, you could have cut some of the stuff out. Like it just wasn't necessary, but I, I, I was not really, I couldn't understand Hemingway. Cause I was just like, I should love him. You know, he, he influenced Joan Didion, Brace and Ellis. Like I, I should be one of his biggest fans. And I, I didn't understand until I read more of his short stories. And I was like, Oh, he's a, he's a master of the short story, but I don't, I don't, really care for his novels I, I will probably read at least one more you know just to give another shot but mm -hmm. i i will if i if i died right now i'd carry that to my grave like i just don't get <laughs> i don't i just don't like his novels i feel like they, he because he can't because of how much he restricts himself with his style he can't fill a novel that well in my opinion yeah until i read more I, you know it's only two works that i've that I've referenced because that's all I've, bought, I've read of his as far as his novels or novellas. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that. Yeah. Well, I guess is this where we end it then for the first one? Yeah. Sounds good, man. Um, cool. I guess we'll uh, plan on doing it again next week. Definitely. Good talk, right, as usual. All right, you too. All right. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. You too. Bye.